What up, HyperChange? Welcome to another episode of the Hyper Chat. I'm here with Nikita. We have a really special episode today. We're going to talk about Oscar health and HyperChange in the healthcare system and why aligning incentives could be, make a huge difference for the healthcare industry, which in the U.S. is super bloated. And you also have, um, you work for Oscar and you also have a blog um, called Negotiating the Terms about women in VC. So we're going to cover all of this, startups, tech, healthcare. Really excited to have you on. Um, thanks for coming. Of course. Anytime. Um, so yeah, so maybe we could start um, before jumping into everything, like maybe just give us a little bit of your background and how you got to working at Oscar. Yeah, of course. Um, I basically studied statistics and history, and I think those two combos kind of guided why I got interested in technology. So history certainly repeats itself, but you're like, why do we keep making the same mistakes over and over again? And one of the pinnacle foundations of how things change is certainly technology. So that's the the history part. And then when I think about statistics, data is one of the most foundational um, pieces of inf- foundational sources of information that helps you bring insights to why you're making or why you should make certain types of decisions. So I think the two things together has got very much guided my path. And um, when I think about healthcare, like healthcare is a little bit different. To me, that's more personal why I got interested in it. My aunt is mentally disabled. And healthcare has always been really important to like how she has lived her life. And I was born and raised in Australia. The healthcare system there is very different from the healthcare system in India where she is versus the healthcare system in the US. And it's, there needs to be radical change in the US healthcare system. So something that has always been something important to me that incremental change is not gonna do anything um, for healthcare if we're going to really fix things. So to me, it's like barnstorm, let's do something different. And seeing how her life has panned out has really drew me to healthcare and being able to use some of the skills I have definitely in terms of like data science to hopefully change things. Yeah, that's awesome. And one of my favorite sayings is the bigger the problem, the bigger the opportunity. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like there's Mm -hmm. a huge problem. Maybe you could elaborate on, you know, the U.S. is spending so much more uh, per on GDP per capita on healthcare than every other country's. You know what what's wrong with the system? Like, could do you summarize it? I don't know if that's too complicated of a question, <laughs> but is there a way to pinpoint like why are we so inefficient? I mean, I think part of it is kind of a political answer. Uh, so, not talking about my employer, how my employer t- sees things, but I can talk definitely about how I see things. Yeah. So much in the U.S. is fee for service. So it's done based on procedure, not based on what people's healthcare outcomes end up looking like. So yeah. that to me is one of the most screwed up parts of the U.S. healthcare system. And the origins are very interesting. Um, it came about during and after World War II. There were freezes on wages um, instituted by FDR. And in order for I guess, in, uh, for companies to be competitive, they had to offer something to employees that wasn't related to their wages. That ended up being health insurance. So that was like our origin, which wow. is very different from most health insurance in other countries. That came from the state. Yeah, so it was like enterprises wanting to yes. be, make themselves more attractive to employees. Exactly. And that's yep. what sparred the innovation, not yep. Exactly. Exactly. And before that, there wasn't really health insurance. There was more um, hospitals that offered care. So you had you can even see this in, in the names of big hospital systems, Detroit Mercy, Mount Sinai. These are all religious um, because it was basically the Catholic Church and a lot of religious institutions that started hospitals. Hmm. So um, like that's very different. Right. From now where we have nonprofit or not for profit or 
for-profit, like Hospital Corporation of America, HCA hospitals. But in other countries of the world, it was the government helped drive healthcare or like universal healthcare. That was not the, the, the case in the U.S. So when you think about what could a new healthcare system look like, we would be changing almost a hundred years of how health insurance has looked like in this country. That is it's crazy, right? So you already have all of these incentives, like you already have an industry that it's not in their favor to change things, but it's not, hasn't been in their favor for like a hundred years. So you had um, Blue Cross Blue Shield, one of the biggest insurance companies in America. What ended up happening in like the late 80s, 90s, et cetera, was that they were one of the only hospitals that was still like truly nonprofit in the sense that they would take anyone. They still, they covered pre-existing conditions. Most places, as you know, which is why we have the Affordable Care Act and all of that, most most insurance companies did not. Mm-hmm. Blue Cross did. So what you ended up happening, or what ended up happening was all of the sickest people in the U.S. were like, okay, I know I can't get covered by, any, by anyone else, but I can get covered by Blue Cross. And so Blue Cross couldn't shoulder that burden. And so they the board actually voted to make it to, to not cover pre-existing conditions. So all of a sudden you had all these people that originally had Blue Cross, the floor fell out from underneath for a lot of them. Wow. Um, yeah, so that's so, hopefully some his, historical background on, on why things are really screwed up. And I can go into you know the ACA and the Affordable Care Act, but... Well, what I really wanted to... Uh, something you mentioned is, is the fee for a procedure. And mm-hmm. I think that's the root of the issue is mm-hmm. the incentives are not yep. aligned in the healthcare yep. system. And so it seems like that is the real change that Oscar's bringing is they're putting... Consum- I think the mission is to make our healthcare system work for our consumers. Mm-hmm. So aligning the incentives. And so it seems like that is a total 180 from how the system works yeah. today. I mean, everyone says we can fix it by aligning incentives, and people have been try- have tried to. Um, I think Oscar is uh, has definitely tried to do that in almost everything we do. And I can try. I can speak to some of the things that my team works on um, that I think aligns incentives and has made Oscar yeah. have that kind of member experience that has been um, really core to what Oscar does. One, of the, I'll start with like one of the most because one of the craziest things about healthcare, which is that no one knows how much anything costs. So you right? Like, right? Isn't that crazy? crazy? Yeah. You like, can't like get a quote. You can't no. call. I've tried to do that. Nope. And I was like, what kind of business is that we're running? Like, you don't know the price for yep. what I'm, I've yep. never heard of this. And no, no other industry is like that. You have set prices for the most part. Um, but if you, if you, let's say you do have insurance. So your insurance company and the doctor you go to or like that facility they have a pre-existing contract that says this is probably how much things are going to cost. This is how much Oscar is going to cover of it. But it means that you're on the hook for everything else. You as an individual mm-hmm. that your insurance doesn't cover uh, based on that based on that contract. So that goes back to the procedural thing. The doctor and the facility knows that they're going to get paid if you do this, if you do this, if you do this, because they have a contract that says with its insurance company that they will cover this. But that has nothing to do with you know, golly is feeling better this time around. Or he know his let's say you were there for diabetes, your diabetes level dropped from ten point your A one C glucose A one C dropped from ten, which is bad, dangerous level, to six, which is pretty good. You're not re- no one in the healthcare system gets rewarded for that. If anything, the doctor gets rewarded if you keep going back to the doctor. And you're you, almost incentivized for them to keep you sick and like doing more tests on you, not to give you tests. the best care. Exactly. Like they they don't 
they actually like make less money if they cure you. So yep. the incentives are completely at yep. odds. Yeah. So there's some systems like Kaiser, for example, where Kaiser has insurance tied in with the hospital system. So or with all the doctors there. So and then the cost center is, is connected with the insurance company and yeah, that starts exactly. to align. Okay. But this is what they're trying to do. Right. So if if I'm the insurance company, I don't want to be paying for you to go to the doctor. I make more money if you're healthy. Right. So Kaiser, their doctors make more money as well. And all of the people there, if you are healthy. So the insist there, the incentives are aligned. I'm not saying Kaiser is perfect. There are still plenty of issues in how Kaiser does things. But to me, that really goes to what you were saying. Like, let's align incentives as much as we can. And if your doctors are in line with your insurance company, it's a lot better than insurance butting heads with the hospital system. Awesome. And so yeah. then maybe you could tell us about what your role is at Oscar and then that maybe a couple examples of those aligning incentives. Yeah, I can definitely do that. So I'm on the population health team. And broadly speaking, population health in any insurance company or any company really will, healthcare company, will look at all of the 300,000 members, let's say, for Oscar. And we look at the data that we have on these members, demographics, et cetera, to say there are some really big cost centers and really big pain points in how certain people are experiencing their health care. What can we do, given Oscar's positionality as a very high-touch insurance company, to make a change there, to make some kind of difference, whether that's, hey, we need to change some features on the mobile desktop tablet app, or it might be, let's stand up an analog solution for our most chronic members. So say we know someone's going to the hospital uh, or let's say they're taking an ambulance 20 times a month because they're obese and that's the only vehicle that can take them there. Can we partner with, say, an Uber or a Lyft or some other company that can do it at a far more um, at a cheaper cost for that member and for us, but we'll still get the job done because ambulances are very expensive. So there, that's why I'm saying there's wow. like technology solutions as well as analog solutions. So the goal, ultimate goal for our team is to improve outcomes, people's healthcare outcomes, to reduce cost for the member and for Oscar, and to create an experience that makes healthcare much better or makes their healthcare experience better. It, it's so cool that you're saving Oscar money, but you're also saving the patient money. That seems yeah. like key. Yeah. yeah. And going back to what you were saying earlier, like one fifth, that number, you know, one fifth of the U.S. GDP is related to healthcare costs. That mm -hmm. is insane. No other country in the world is like that. You, know, you can even point to England. It's around like 11, 12 percent. That's still way less than the U.S. There are places like, China, uh, sorry, not China, Japan and Germany. It's about 9 percent, 8 percent. That's so mm. they essentially have socialized healthcare there. But it's way cheaper. So one of, some of the things that they do that's very different um, is that they, the state, sets the prices. So unlike having these backdoor negotiations where a United Healthcare or some insurance company makes an agreement with Mount Sinai or one of the big uh, hospital systems that no one else knows about, wow. everyone, has, everyone knows because <laughs> the government has said this is the most that the government will let anyone pay or cost for mm -hmm. this procedure. So wow. Medicare does that, but not everyone's on Medicare, right? You have to be above a certain age in your 60s to get government insurance, um, to, get, to get Medicare. So there, cost, cost is one of the biggest, biggest problems. So it sounds like transparency is also a huge, like the pricing transparency. So mm -hmm. is that something that Oscar tries to give its members? Like if you're going to go for this appointment, will you tell me exactly how much it costs? Yes. We have now done that. Wow. Which okay. Is pretty That's cool. huge. Yes. So one of the things, it was, it was kind of controversial almost to 
uh, to roll out this feature because we don't want to make any promises. Like going back to what we were saying earlier, you have no idea how much a procedure or how much it's going to cost for you to go to the doctor. We didn't want to put on the app. It's going to cost you $300, and then, surprise, actually, you got billed $600 for whatever Which reason. Which is, like, what Which always happens. happens. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so we try to be very clear that the cost that we put on there, so say you are going to an, your OBGYN um, or you want to go to an OBGYN, you pull up on the app, um, OBGYN, based on your location, et cetera, it'll give you a list of OBGYNs to go to. And we'll put on there a cost estimate, like a range. So okay. you can clearly tell, like, okay, there's a difference between um, OBGYN that costs $200, one versus $500. You're probably going to go to the $200 one, even if it's 20 minutes further away than the other one. Uh, so we moved away. What we originally had was, like, a Yelp dollar sign symbol. So you could see, like, <laughs> OBGYN $2 sign, OBGYN $4 sign. Um, but that's not helpful when you reflect it onto different specialties. Like, it's clearly different if you're a $2 a primary care physician versus a $2 endocrinologist, like a very serious right. specialty. And like I know like a two-star pasta should cost me like 18 or 20 bucks, but I don't know what like a $2 sign or like, you know, yeah, like this exactly, procedure exactly. should be you normally no called. Yeah. You have no idea. Um, so we work on like some things like that. Some other stuff we've done is mail order. So pharmacy. It's people, the medication adherence is a big problem. Uh, like people forget to pick up their meds. Um, or if they're, and the other big thing is that if you're going into CVS, there's also a markup because you're going into a pharmacy, physical pharmacy. Um, so we've looked at what are different interesting solutions that hopefully we can do to make people adhere to their medication plan. Because if you don't take your medication, far likelihood that you were, something was going to go out of whack and you're going to end up in an even worse condition than you were in before. So we've looked, mail order pharmacy is a big one. So if you are let's say you have certain types of chronic conditions and you keep going in every 30 days to CVS, can we actually put you on a 90-day mail order? So instead you'd get it to your home. So you don't wow. have to keep remembering to go in to CVS. Yeah, it should just come to you. It just comes to me. Wow. So that's like another thing. Um, we also do a lot of research. So we talk to members about problems that they're facing, um, which has been really interesting. So going back to medication adherence, we noticed, we're able to tell from our data, right? If you don't, we can see if you go and pick up a prescription from CVS. If you don't pick it up, we can tell. So you're clearly not adhering to your medication. But then we want to know why aren't you adhering to your medication? Are you just forgetting? Or is it something even more serious? Is it related to some kind of social determinant? Is it because you can't leave your home because you're bedridden, right? It could be something like that. Yeah, or wow. is it too expensive for you? And if it's too expensive, is there things that we can do in how we price our drugs and our negotiation are what we call the farm, like our pharmacy with CVS to make it more affordable for people. So we ask these like larger questions and we funnel it, funnel it, funnel it down, hopefully to get to some kind of answer or some kind of solution. Really helpful. And so maybe taking a step back, like this whole trend, software is eating the world. Mm. Um, I think Oscar really plays well into this. And I heard a quote or like some sort of line from your CEO when I was watching an interview to, to research for this that said faxes are more useful than mobile phones yep. in the medical industry today. So just with that kind of lens, I'm curious if you could describe like what is Oscar's business approach here? Like what's the game plan to basically start tackling this huge problem? Yeah, I mean, digitizing is a big thing. Um Mario, I don't think, talked about this in, in that interview, but the company that prints the most paper in the United States is a medical records retrieval company. Wow. By far. More than any. They're so wasteful. Yeah. That's because we... <laughs> That's crazy. It's, it's crazy, right? Because <laughs> there's... It's, it's still... I mean, it's better than it was before. Um, 
but it's still like in order for any insurance company to receive medical records, we have to ask you know, a retrieval company to get it for us. That's thousands and thousands and thousands of paper. If we can even move from that from paper to digital, or at least more of it, that would be so much more helpful. Um, and then when you move it to digital, you're actually, you can use that data. That's really another yep. big thing is yep. people's health data doesn't really seemingly follow them around, which yep. seems super like archaic that that's not, yep. you know, there's not one repository for our health data. Yeah. So. Yeah, there's, um, this is one of the most interesting parts, right? Uh, if you go from Oscar to United to Aetna to Cigna, you start as a blank slate, tabula rasa, every single time you go to a different place. So say you have four major conditions. Cigna has no idea. So they can't put you on the care plan from the get-go versus if you were able to carry your data with you and you sign up for Cigna and you give Cigna your healthcare data, Cigna goes, okay, great. I know that Golly has these, these, these conditions. What can we do to make sure we start addressing them from the get-go? We know we're able to cover them properly. Right now, you just go to a new insurance company, and the insurance company is like, oh, I know nothing about him. Let's see what happens this year. Yeah. So what's the why is that so difficult? What's the roadblock between not sharing this data, like aggregating it? Is this something Oscar's tackling? Or like, I'm, I guess I wouldn't ever want to leave Oscar if I signed up. But mm -hmm. like, I'm guessing you're doing a much better job at digitizing like a cloud of my personal health data. Yeah, there are ways to move your your data, but no one really does it. And I wish there was a way to, let's say like, you know, Apple. I think it's super appealing that you would be able to, maybe not just through your Apple Watch, but through other means, have a place that stores your data so that it is easy for you if you do move insurance companies to say, hey, for the last like four years, this is all my healthcare data. Mm -hmm. But we don't have that right now. I don't know, like, I think part of it is how siloed every insurance company is. They don't really work together, right? Um, in many ways, it's not in their business interest to share data. Like, when I remember when I was saying, like, no one knows how much anything costs, it is secret how much it costs Oscar to contract with the hospital and how much it costs United to contract with the hospital. No one wow. really has any idea. So the less data sharing, I think some certain individuals and some certain institutions have said that's great we should actually share data less because it makes us stickier it makes you less likely to move to yeah etna because you're not like, oh etna knows or sorry let's say sign up for oscar uh or one any of them they have all of your information they have or that you've shared with them and your experiences on healthcare. it makes if you know it's a lot harder to transfer that to someone else and you have a lot of different conditions why would you move even if it gets a little bit more expensive, you know, I've spent a year on this. They know the doctors I like to go to. I can't move because if I had to start from scratch every single time, it's really hard. It's hard to, you know, be with doctors that know you, that know not just your actual health data. But think about like when you go on a, if, if you go on a trip, you go on a vacation, you come back sick. A lot of time doctors won't even ask you, did you go on vacation? Like it's not, it's not, it's not there. It's not programmed up there. So if you go to the same doctor though for the last two years, they'll at least have an idea of like who you are. And so if you do get sick, they ask you different types of questions that a doctor you're seeing for the first time might not ask you. Um, so I think like one of the other big questions is how do we make healthcare actually about your health, not just your healthcare data, but you know why are you feeling sleepy this morning have you changed your sleeping patterns did you go on vacation is there something psychological like i think there are so many more questions that aren't wow. just reflected mm -hmm. in your health data that really impact your health 
Mm-hmm. And something really cool that I saw that Oscar was doing is these kind of programs where, like, I don't know if this is something that is live now, but where you can walk and let's say you take mm-hmm. more steps, you'll yep. actually pay less or these kind of, yep. you know, incentives to make me healthier. And then Oscar is has my back for health. So, that yep. you know, I'm reducing the liability. And so yep. I'm I'm, re- I'm curious if you could touch on, you know, is that the future where I'm going to want to get up every morning and like take a mile walk because I'm going to save five or ten bucks on my health uh, insurance? Like... No. <laughs> it's funny. We actually get people that like complain. Um, they're like, oh, I'm, I'm meeting my steps. But every single time you like increase it. Uh, which we do it's like kind of a tiered you know if you're walking more that's great but then if you're always hitting your milestone we're going to move that milestone a little bit um (laughs) i think it depends like sometimes i used to uh because i have you know the i have oscar as my insurance i had to do like seven thousand nine thousand steps every day and you get a dollar for every time you do that Mm -hmm. so i was doing it every single day and then i got to the point where i was like i'm only getting a dollar does that even matter but it is things like that that actually make people incited and excited and engaged about their healthcare. Like when you look at the way people share their Strava um, data. Like oh, look at I where just heard went. about Strava actually. Yeah, it's yeah. cool. It's cool. It's like you can, you like know. Like the bike sharing exactly. or like you bike share, tracking. Yeah. You share like where you ran, where you did, went on your bike. And people like to see each you know, where each other's at. Like my fitness pal that was later acquired by Under Armour, a lot of that was about let me share my health with other people. Um, and I think like making it a collaborative experience, gamifying your health, you know, without being too technocratic about it, I actually think like that is really fun. And people are like, gamifying their finances, people are gamifying their health, people are gamifying so many different things. Um, if you can bring, I think, fun as well to how people do their healthcare, I think you've got something on there. So like gamifying our how you walk that are gamifying that fitness part i think that's something that we're you know we're trying to do so yeah and just the fact that your health insurance company is paying attention seems mm. huge to me like even though it's a tiny amount of money like they're paying attention yeah. they want they're on my side like yeah i just think that's such a cool reversal of the industry psychology previously let me let me ask you a question as someone who's like thinking about how getting on health insurance right now um oscar could be or insurance could be two types of things insurance could be very active very involved in your care calling you sending you messages blah 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 that's one type of insurance company or it could be an insurance company that like is very very much in the background you know they they process things like if you need help you can ask for it but they're Mm -hmm. not like super active in your care i think that's two different types of insurance companies and some prefer one over the other like some prefer like i just want to live my life and have my insurance and when i need it i want it i don't really want it to be like super active um and like really involved Hmm. So I'm just I'm personally curious how people feel about how they want insurance to play a role in their life. I almost think a hybrid approach is mm, like yeah. what I want, where it's like, <laughs> don't bother me. But like when something's wrong, like I need you there and I need you to be super involved because yeah. it's my health. Yeah, that that's kind of in the back. or And like I'm thinking once every six months, like I should get a push notification from my phone. That's like you should go to the dentist and get your teeth cleaned yep. once every six months. Get a checkup. I yep. don't even know how often I'm supposed to do that. Like, yeah. you know, but these are things that are just so simple to like time. Right now, there's no one telling me to go do these things. Yeah. So then I would want my insurance company to reach out to me like, hey, it's covered. It's free. Here's like five appointments in the next week. Like, just pick one and we'll yep. like super easy coming to you. So I think they could take a lot of the stress out of it yeah. by like being a little proactive. Yeah. I mean, we, we do that. So if you, we want you to get your annual physical every year yeah um and for certain people we'll even say like there's certain like higher let's say high risk individuals that we need to get them to a doctor this year we really want them to get to a doctor this year we might throw in a like hey here's a 20 dollar amazon gift card or 50 dollar amazon gift card wow why would you not want to do that Man. 
And, wh- and th- one of the reasons I'm so excited for this episode is just to give a little backstory. Like I'm personally trying to get health insurance or like I just got off my parents' health insurance. Yep. And so I'm deciding which new health insurance to get for the first time. It's like a really overwhelming process and so confusing. I don't know. I just feel so over my head. And then when I found Oscar, I was like, even today I was playing around and looking at the plans. Like it's so simple as like mm-hmm. a millennial who's used to dealing with like these well-designed like working software platforms that explain it for me. It was just miles ahead of anything else I'd experienced in the industry. And yeah. so moving into Oscar, the company, like what gets me so excited is I, I, I was looking at the last funding round, like you're only seven years old as a company, it looks like. It's founded in 2012, uh, just raised $375 million at a $3 billion valuation or so from Alphabet like yep. eight or nine months ago. Mm-hmm. And so I'm I'm so, so excited about the, the opportunity here because I think once you get all these young people signed up, like they're yep. potentially customers for life. And you're, you know, transforming the way that they can interact with their data, the way that you guys are incentivizing how to reduce costs in the system. Like, I think this is building, like, the exact future that we need for health. Like, this is hyper change in the healthcare Mm -hmm. space. And it's exactly what we need. And it's, like, so overdue. And it was probably so, so hard to get to this point because of, like, regulation is kind of what I'm thinking. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of other companies have probably tried this. But Oscar seems like one of the only one that's really... Um, executing. So I don't know. This isn't really a question, but I, I guess I'm just kind of curious of like, I'm so excited about the potential this was, of this, this company, was you know, sponsored by Oscar. I'm just kidding. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. <laughs> no, it definitely wasn't. You know, but like, I, but, but um, it's, it's an industry that I don't think, like I hadn't thought much about, but when mm-hmm. I think about investing, like one of my mantras is like, I want to invest in the future I believe in. Yep. And like, it's honestly very hard to find companies often that are really to their core building something that I'm like, the future needs this. This is good. When I look at Oscar, it really like fits into that perfectly. And so that's what gets me so excited about, you know, like you're actually building a future that's going to save the U.S. healthcare system a ton of money, which means taxpayers could save a ton of money, which means, Mm -hmm. you know, people have faster care. It's more affordable. It's cheaper. It's, you know, we're digitizing that whole process. Um, so I, I guess I'm just really, really excited about Oscar Health. And I like I would be investing in it at three billion if I could personally. I guess my that ship is sailed. But um like I just think it's a it's such a fascinating company to watch. And I don't know yeah. if you have any comments the long term, like sort of from like your investor brain perspective mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. about what you think of the company. So you know, Oscar originally, not at this point, but it had a very specific focus, which was around filling this gap when the Affordable Care Act passed to say, hey, we're an ACA plan. So that means you signed up when the exchanges opened and the exchanges were open, you know, like that November to December range. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was for, you know, people who don't get you know, insurance traditionally from an employer. It might be someone. So when some kind of catastrophic event happens or like, let's say you get um, you become unemployed so you can join at any point for some of those plans. Um, that was a very specific niche. And so the case had to be made that this was still going to be successful, even though it wasn't employer-based insurance. And most people, more than 50% of people that have insurance, is from their employer. So I think at the beginning, it was perhaps a little nebulous. You didn't know if Oscar was going to do well uh, because you still had big players in a lot of the places. So you met, like, let's say, go to Orlando. Um, there were still insurance companies that were offering Affordable Care Act plans, but it became so expensive um, for whatever reason. And Oscar has been able to fight that battle and be an inf- affordable plan. We're one of the most affordable plans in Texas. So that's why we have so many San Antonio members. But what's in- really interesting about San Antonio is that unlike New York, where a lot of people are drawn to Oscar because of technology, people joined Oscar because it was the cheapest plan. 
Wow. It was a lot of people who were uh, Hispanic. So we needed to, you know, make sure that our serv- our app and our features could support Spanish-speaking population. So it's just, like, very interesting to see, like, in different states why they chose Oscar. And I think that actually dictates, like, when, when I think about my team and how we want to actually move the needle on people's care, we need to know why they were on Oscar in the first place. Because someone who's technology-forward and cares about the ex- digital experience mm-hmm. – that's a very different person that's going to react to some of our pilot programs and interventions versus someone in San Antonio who just signed up because like, oh, Oscar is the cheapest plan. Never heard of Oscar. Don't care. I just need, you know, my insurance covered. Yeah. Um, wow. Yes. Yeah, so that's like that's one interesting thing. Now we're offering or going into the next year, we'll be on Medicare. So we'll be offering um, Oscar to people above the age of, you know, 60 plus. That's a very another thing that's going to be very different for Oscar. But I'm based on this type of on the political environment um the current one not saying what's going to happen you know after the next presidential election but the fact that we have the affordable care act there's always going to be a need for an oscar and i'm excited because in spite of the current way the oscar is built the way that we're thinking about incentives the way that we're thinking about our technology no other insurance company is doing that Mm -hmm. if you've ever looked at the like the website for any of these other insurance companies were like, this is garbage. Yeah. <laughs> this is garbage. And I don't yeah. understand like, any of it. <laughs> as a millennial in the tech scene, it's like giving me anxiety. You no, know? Like, no, seriously. I'm like, man, I don't trust these guys. No, like, <laughs> And you, why would you, right? Um, so what I think when we, the origin story of Oscar, it's like Mario and his wife, um, she became pregnant. And then, um, you know, they got their hospital bill after everything. And he was like, I, I can't read this. I have no idea what I'm paying for. Mm-hmm. And I you know, went to Harvard and I worked at Bridgewater. If I can't understand <laughs> that, truly, like if he can't understand that, how can anyone else? Um, and to be quite honest, before I joined Oscar, I had no idea what a deductible was. I, got, I still don't. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming clean. <laughs> you want me? I can, I can explain, explain like copay, coinsurance and deductible if you want me to. Why but not? That might be. Is it long? No, not really. Yeah, go for it. Honestly, um, but... I need to know. <laughs> Everyone probably needs, Everyone to, needs know. to know. Like, they're in denial. It's Everyone's funny. been faking that it's they know. Scary. It's Everyone like... does kind of fake it because it seems very scary at the beginning. Or like, what is deductible? I've never heard that term used ever or like other than healthcare, right? Yeah, like what are we deducting? What from? are we deducting? Yeah, <laughs> seriously. <don't> <laughs> <laughs> but it's like it's most plans, especially for young people, are uh, high deductible. So it means that before insurance kicks in, you have to pay this amount of money. So every time you go to the doctor, you're paying the full amount. So let's say your deductible is $5,000. You have to pay for that year $5,000 throughout your various different uh various different um like encounters with a doctor and after that that's when insurance kicks in so once you cross that five thousand wow so it's like we only have you covered if you spend more than five g's this year or whatever they'll cover you in certain ways but yeah it's really that like get to that five thousand for families it's like twelve thousand um it really really changes so but that's an important thing to know like if you're someone who you know goes to the doctor all, all the time and you want to, you know, the insurance to kick in faster, maybe you should get a low deductible plan, right? Like, you, so you only pay $3,000 and then all of a sudden your insurance is coming in and paying for you? Mm-hmm. That's helpful. Um, copay. So copay is when you go to the doctor, insurance covers some of it, um, and then you are responsible for, like, let's say $30. That's your copay. You just pay $30 every time you go. But your insurance has covered a lot of it. So that's fine. Then okay. coinsurance um, or things like this is 
when you or let's your deductible is done, so you got to that five thousand. Okay. Your insurance is actually only going to cover seventy percent, so you're still on the hook Damn. for a lot of it. I know, right? I shouldn't have bought so many Tesla shares. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to market-based insurance. Um, so you know, there's an argument I think a valid one to be made about Medicare for all or something like it, uh, because potentially that could be cheaper than, you know, th- than the system that we have now, which is all kinds of messed up. Can I ask a crazy moonshot question? Because yes. one of the things that I don't, my brain doesn't wrap around is this concept, the million dollar treatments, you know, this mm. whole concept of like humans are going to live longer. Like, I feel like the one thing I would pay infinite capital for is time. And so that's really what Oscar's like core business is. You're selling time mm. that people can add to their lives. And so I wonder how the system as we technology advances and you get more and more expensive treatments, like, mm-hmm. you know, where's the end of like, where does insurance play into that? If when I'm 90 years old, there's a $700 million treatment for to cure my disease yeah. and make me live one more year. Like, I don't know. This is always something I think of because it's like people will there's, you know, mm-hmm. the question is, do you want that when you're 90 years old? Do you want to spend X thousands of dollars on a procedure that's going to keep you alive for another six months versus your old, like your quality of life when you're 50? Then I think it makes a lot more sense to get a very expensive procedure. Once you're a lot older, I think that you, you know, you should think about your other life options out there. It's actually interesting. Most of people's in like, healthcare costs ever will be in that last few years of their life, right? Because this is your body's deteriorating. All of the and things. you're throwing everything at at it you can. Exactly, exactly. And there's a beautiful book, Atulgawande's book, Being Mortal, where he asks these questions about mortality. He asks you, when you're older. How how do you how do you think the people actually feel? Do they want to be do you, do they want to spend their years or months in a hospital in a very anesthetized cold environment, or do they want to be at home surrounded by their family where the focus is not how do I extend my life but how do I decrease my pain so I make it as painless as possible, live the rest of my life yeah. surrounded by my loved ones, um, and it's I mean not that the cost thing is as important when you're asking questions about mortality, but it is technically cheaper um, to go through like hospice care than it is to be at a hospital. But it's a beautiful book, so I definitely recommend it to people because he was a doctor. So his thoughts were always, how can I make sure that this person is going to live longer? Yeah. And I, I guess that the, the burden I'm trying to get to is this deep moral question of like, what is the base, baseline healthcare? So like we, you know, technology That's advances this certain level. What yeah. it seems like there's some standard we have to cut off of like every person is entitled to healthcare up to this point. Because after that, it just gets too expensive, and then like all taxpayers are paying for that. Yeah, so, you know, so that's okay. This I don't is... <laughs> know, but these are things I think about. Like, there's weird, it's skewed incentives at the end in all sorts of ways yeah. when you think about this industry that are so so unique, and that's yeah. why I think like biotech in general is like an investing category is really interesting because mm-hmm. uh, you know people will they'll spend years and years on these treatments that people will pay millions of dollars for just because they don't have anything else, yeah. and like like the demand elasticity is insane yeah. you know oh yeah i'm glad you brought a biotech because i'm so excited about the future of like just longevity and in, in, in general um and i think that there's so many ways that biotech can help in the immediacy not even thinking about like you know when we are 100 what could happen how things might change think about how expensive it is to get an intravenous procedure or to go in so basically in you know, you have to go in, plug, you know, they have to put a needle in you. You have to be in the hospital for three, four hours. 
how many people can do that? How many people can take three to four hours out of their like work day and just go and get, you know, certain drugs running through their body? Um, that's expensive. And that's also like a lot of law, like capital loss on the system. Like if you're just having people leaving work to go get procedures done. So there's like an, there's an interesting company called Ronnie Therapeutics. That's a, what they're trying to do is take common intravenous procedures and make it a pill. Whoa. Right? Is that even possible? There there are some that they're working on that I think like it will get close to being possible, but you have to think about like sure drugs metabolize very differently in your system, but like that to me is amazing. Are there ways that we could bring thing procedures or things that are locked up by the hospital to the masses in a way that's more affordable? So I think this like intravenous to drug is one thing. Another thing is um is, is pregnancy. So it's very very expensive to get you know to, to have a birth um and then c-sections are a way that make that are even more costly like a doctor might say or there are also hospitals are, are incentivized for someone to have a c-section because that makes it because the, the natural birth exactly procedure for fee or whatever. exactly exactly and a natural birth is like you know eight to eight hours plus if you see someone wow. going through a three-hour pregnancy who's never been pregnant before and she's just like get it get it get it out of me because it hurts so much <laughs> um you know, you you know, a doctor or the hospital wants kind of wants you to get your baby out because then they can rotate more people in. So there's more babies coming out, more money to be made. But a natural birth does take eight to nine hours. So that whole process is really expensive. So now there are these alternative options called freestanding birthing centers that have midwives and the original, like the original women when you're back in your villages, et cetera, that helped you give birth or do natural births that way. So there, I think there are really interesting alternative ways to make care more affordable. Um, like there's the, like the, what they call um, healthcare anarchists. That's kind of like this self-given This name. was the this term that I was looking for. Healthcare <laughs> okay. anarchists. Healthcare yeah. anarchists. Yeah, there's a bunch of like, you know, fringe movements to make healthcare more expensive or um, more affordable. Sorry, mm-hmm. um, one of them is like the these thirty dollar EpiPen kits. So usually, and you know, unfortunately, diet, you know, getting um, insulin is like seven hundred dollars a month. A lot of people can't afford that. That's insane, and that's if you have insurance as well. Holy so shit. I know it's really expensive. So um, these people were working on how can we just create a kit in your home or that you can assemble to that's thirty dollars that that's what these guys are working on it's amazing um then there's an initiative at counterculture lab out in berkeley to create open source insulin so like stuff that you could make with a 3d printer or like in your kitchen because technically insulin is generic it's not owned it's by anyone mm-hmm. so I, I think, wow it's crazy that something off patent yeah. that's generic is yep. costing so much money yep that's it's crazy. insane because Think think about it. If I know that, you know, your your generic or your insulin costs you that you're creating is five hundred dollars. So I know there's willingness to pay. That's five at five hundred dollars. So if I want to create a competitor, why would I also just why why wouldn't I be like four hundred ninety nine dollars? Because I know, you know, I don't know how much people would change from one to the other, but you know that people are willing to pay those high prices, and you mm-hmm. see this in the way that drugs you know, you, th- you see this all the time and it's really unfortunate but uh there's gener- this plays out a lot with generics so say my patent is about to expire i you know created a drug a while ago and the generic company says hey we're going to build the, you know we're going to create this in our factories you can pay them to not create the generic like you just sign it wow you just sign a contract and you're like 
I will pay you $60 million a year to not create the drug. And if you're a generic, you're like, $60 million, that's a Our lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> no, exactly. They're like, okay, you want to give us $60 million a year and maybe that'll continue in perpetuity? Why? And you're not making anything. I that's mean, that's like you're not even so paying corrupt, for anything. Though. It's not illegal. That seems, wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we got to switch gears to because I want to get there's so much <laughs> okay. I want to cover. But this is it makes me optimistic about capitalism, honestly, that we Oscar exists and that mm. we have super smart people like you and everyone working at Oscar tackling these so problems. Smart. Because yeah. that's one of the, the real issues is like the distribution of intelligence tackling these hard mm-hmm. problems that matter. Yep. And so the fact that Oscar is enabling that and like incentivizing them with equity, I hope, or whatever, like that gets me A pumped. The capitalism's working, <laughs> hopefully, you know, like. Um, but anyway, so the other big thing that you do, I guess, is uh, a blog sort of interview series called Negotiating the Terms, mm-hmm. where you interview different women in the VC industry. Yep. Um, so I'm really curious, you know, how did you start that? And like, what, what was the idea uh, behind launching that? So I start, I mean, I can start from why I wanted to do it. I guess when I started getting interested in venture, you know, there were resources, but they were very distributed. I couldn't find one place that had here are other than Harry Stubbings amazing interviews, which, you know, po- and podcasts are awesome. I was like, where can I go to find, you know, people that look like me, people who are junior, um, talking about their experiences in VC, how they broke in, et cetera. I think like mm-hmm. Harry's podcast has been an amazing resource, but he interviews partners, he interviews CEOs. That is a very specific type of individual versus who are other young people who are in this industry who I can relate to. And my experiences are, it's more like I'm two or three years behind them. That's who I really wanted to see those perspectives. And I wasn't getting that through some of the other resources that I found. And I've always been the kind of person where if I don't, if I don't see it, there's clearly other people are probably also looking for it. So let me just create it myself. Like scratch your own itch. Kind exactly. Of. Yeah. Exactly. So I just decided this is the idea that I have. I bought the domain. There was nothing on there. Um, negotiating the terms. Negotiating the com. Yeah. If you if you type it in, my name will pop up as the like suggested thing right after it, which okay. is pretty cool. Um so I just went out and I asked people, hey, this is this is why I think people want to hear the perspectives of other young women in VC. It's that there are so many of us that are thinking about this now. Yeah. Would you be interested in doing this? And it was a bunch of like seven to eight women who said, yes, I don't care that you have nothing up there yet. I believe in this idea. And, I, and this was also around the time that All Raise was getting started, which was the female funders, female founders focused organization that kind of encompasses. I, what, what is that? All Raise haven't heard of it they're like a they're basically a big group for all women in venture and they're supposed to be um you know they also address the funding gap for women entrepreneurs so they're a big organization nonprofit that got started around the same time i was working on this website um so it was really great to get support from individuals that were part of all raise as well um awesome. to be like yeah do this this is awesome um yeah it was really just people who believed in it and said yeah i'll i'll do it for you i'll let's do an interview and then i did Eight of them then went live, and now I've been posting ever, almost one every week ever since. So I started August of 2018, and now it's April, you know, April, uh, and I've posted 54 interviews. Wow, that's since. crazy. Yeah. And what what have you, you know, across all those interviews, is there anything that surprised you from, you know, learning this much about the VC industry and talking to all these Ooh. cool people? I mean, I think there are... I think things get less and less surprising the more that you talk to people because you're okay. like, okay, I heard that from this person, I heard that from that person. Yeah. Um, but I think that I went into it 
thinking or very, very much romanticizing venture. And then I realized I feel like everybody does. does. Our age, I feel like that's a big exactly. problem. Everyone's like, oh, I'm going to get into venture. venture. Yeah, so it's cool. Like, yeah. I realized that's very, that's very much not how I feel anymore. Right? When the Uber IPO <laughs> happens, I feel like that's going to be less cool. Because like, <laughs> <laughs> everyone who works at Uber is like, great, now I have millions of dollars. I'm going to start my own fund. Like that's, that's definitely going to happen. Or uh, I was thinking when Uber crashes, there'll be the whole like VC uh, bubble could pop. You know, uh, I don't know. Well, it depends on their like lock-in, right? Like you, how long you have to hold your share for. Mm-hmm. We'll see. You probably know much more about this than no, I do. No, I'm just I'm just watching the optics, and I'm like, anytime I see an IPO, and they're like, oh, 120 billion, then the New York Times is like, well, thinking we're gonna do 100 billion, and then mm-hmm. now it's coming out like 90 billion, and mm-hmm. then I think actually just today they're like looking like 80 to 90, and I'm like, man, that is the not you're not IPO. You, you we want IPO for a position of strength. Yep. You know, this is not writing down your value 40 percent before yep. officially pricing is not the, the last IPO it reminds me of is Blue Apron to be honest. Mm-hmm. But like when I was like Yikes. reading all these articles, like oh they're cutting the size like. Yeah, I mean, we can talk about the the IPO as well, multiple IPO things. It's like one of the things you know I do randomly is just read Ask Once yeah. because it's interesting. You're a great person to follow on Twitter, by the way. Oh, Everyone should you. follow you on Twitter <laughs> because I read your um, S1 hot takes. Yes, I would say. they're my, they're my awesome. hot takes. Um, I try to make – there's so many. Like, here's the thing. I read the S1. This is the revenue. This is the blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no one cares about that. I want your actual opinion on you read the S1. You noticed some weird thing in it. Talk about that. That's what excites yeah. me about like people who do analysis analyses of S1s. I mean, S1s are like the coolest thing as a finance or mm. investment nerd. Like the S1 for the people who are watching, it's like this the, the filing that companies make before they go public, 300 yep. pages outlining their entire business model. Yep. So if you're a nerd, investing nerd, like you are or me, and you're like, What's the business model like? What are the unit economics of Uber? Yep. It's like the veil just got lifted yep. and you can get as deep as you want. And so um, I just think people don't realize how exciting that is of like you're literally getting a look under the hood at the world's most exciting, disruptive companies. Yep. The Slack one went live today. Like yes. go, click. Like yes. it's a race to see you can read it fast yeah, enough. Yeah. Like, it's so it's exciting. Awesome. It's awesome. And you can see how this com- the companies actually think of themselves. Yeah. Like the, the yeah. Sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. I was, I was just going to say the mission, like that overview part is so informative. Yes. Like we're the, you know, lift. Consumers owning cars, transportation as a service, society's changing. Mm-hmm. We're going to reinvent the way cities work. And you're like, wow, that's a vision. Okay. Yes. Yes. That's a great thing. It's like you see the vision of these companies. And we were talking about Slack. I think a lot of people think of Slack as this communications tool, but Slack is envisioning itself as like the connective tissue between all the things that an enterprise needs. Um, wow. That's a which good is analogy. crazy, right? Like, so, so you yeah, read the Slack S1. I, I read some of the Slack S1. I think nice. it's like, I take, a, I think I need to take a few days before I like can really process S1s. Cause like you said, 300 pages, something like that. It's a lot of information baked in there. And I think it takes a while yeah. for you to like actually analyze it. So what I posted today was very much just, Hey, I took a quick look. This is some stuff that stuck out to me. Um, but yeah, like thinking of yourself as a communication or not just communications, but you're yeah. really this connective tissue for every cloud-based SaaS tool that an enterprise uses and like slack included in wow, there that, that that partnerships chart right mm-hmm, the partnership chart was super interesting because the average i think they were saying they were looking at enterprises the average enterprise will use like more than a thousand SaaS based tools yeah crazy right like there are just wow. so many yeah. that you end up using right. if you're a big Makes company yeah. right if you're like a ibm or an accenture or whatever you're using thousands because your business is that big and like per country you're probably using a bunch of different SaaS tools so when you think about Slack's means of integrating all of those into its platform, that makes Slack so much more sticky as a product. So it's not just, hey, dude, what's up? Oh, I worked on this today, blah, 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 which is you know, so like, derivative Slack. What's, but... an, what's an example of those integrations? Because I'm not thinking of one like 
Uh, so Your there's Salesforce. Salesforce or? is one. Um, Twilio is another. Like there are plenty of things that you can put into uh, Google uh, is another integration that they have. Um, Atlassian that they have a partnership with. So they now took over HipChat and make it made it HIP compliant. They're um, if you Do they want, bought hip, HipChat as well? So they have a partnership with Atlassian now because they basically bought and sunsetted HipChat. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, but they're, I mean, their partnerships are increasing over time, but I think it's so smart. If you want to call your CRM, like, right, Salesforce is a perfect example, how can I just pull that up immediately? If I want to know cu- the customer information, right? Like, plug it right in. And they have over 500,000 developers that are creating Slack apps third-party apps so that to me is another thing if you're able to get other developers to buy into your tool and want to use it and create for it that's awesome and i think i remember i know i talked about eighteen thousand documents daily are downloaded so shared amongst each other and downloaded through slack Mm -hmm. there are also over a thousand applications third-party apps that are downloaded every day on slack and integrated which goes to show that those apps are really being used it's not just developers creating something that goes into ether. They're wow. clearly helpful in many different ways, whether that's like, you know, one of the ones that m- me and my friends have used um, is like GIF, little GIF, the like GIFI integrations or um, having, you know, the emojis. I've used You can those. make custom emojis. You can make custom emojis. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's awesome. Things from that to far more sophisticated integrations. I think, yeah, if I could have invested in Slack, I would have done it for sure. And what do you think about the... The, I don't know if you're t- you get too into this, but like mm-hmm. the valuation of Slack, like eight billion. Let's say the IPO at eight billion, they're doing like four hundred million in revenue, yep. growing seventy something percent, losing a hundred million in operating income or whatever. Yep. Like, how do you when you're when you're chalking up to value one of these companies? How do you think about that? Do you... I'm I'm thinking about customer acquisition and lifetime value. I'm thinking about how are you a are you doing a good enough job of getting those customers varied by cohort and keeping those customers? I want you to show me that it's not just the big enterprise customers right so like i don't know a google that has over x hundred thousand employees yes it's great if you get you know those enterprises to sign up can you keep those enterprises then smbs people who have between ten thousand to fifty thousand employees are you able to keep them if you're a business that can prove to me that at various price points you're able to acquire and keep those customers and maybe your sales and marketing i hope you know, if you can keep it as low as possible. So you're really product-led growth. That It's your virality, the ability of your product to be the best on the market. That's what gets people to sign up. That's Tesla. really appealing to me, especially, yes. Like Tesla's another perfect example of this. I've never used a Tesla before. Most people haven't. But you look at the product. You see its vision. It, the, having the climate change vision being one of the biggest ones out there I think makes Tesla such an appealing product. And I think one of the same things is there with Slack. It's such a cool product. And the, cool, and the thing about like SaaS-based products is that you can share it very easily with other people. Then they use it. And once you use Slack for the first time, you're like, this is cool. And there are a bunch of products, I think, that are like this. Calendly is another one. If you want people to, you know, sign up for calendars. Oh, um, yeah. And it sends you, you get that for the first time. And you're like, I've never added time on someone's calendar like this. But this makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. Product-led growth is really cool, and I think Slack is doing it very well. So, and it, it's you're you're almost like really honing in on these leading indicators. You know, that first customer are they still spending money? And then that's yep. kind of how you're looking at you know the overall aggregate financials are kind of at, like lagging indicators of really how the business is doing. And you're kind of that's how I think. I think if your product is at the forefront and you're answering customer pain points, then 
and, and you're acquiring and keeping those customers, that matters to me. Like I think Zoom is, is another Ooh, good example. Slack of plus this. Zoom. Is this Slack not a moonshot Zoom. Monday? No, like, I know. Like, That's what it is. Is this be. not like a match made in heaven? No, like seriously. Slack and Zoom? Yeah. I mean, I know that Zoom has a bunch of other features other than video um, that maybe are Slack adjacent, but honestly, that would be beautiful. Like I don't, if I have Slack and Zoom, great, but if I had Slack with Zoom. Right? Mm-hmm. Game changer. And so, Switching gears a little bit, but yeah. back to Tesla, because yeah. they, one thing they're working on is an insurance product. And so you're kind of in the insurance Whoa, space. And their unique that. angle is that they have so much data mm-hmm. on the individual driver and their yep. driving habits. And they can, like what Oscar's doing, incentivize you to drive safer to mm-hmm. actually decrease your rates. And so it's they're almost like now insurance is a two-way street. Yep. That's what I see Oscar yep. doing. That's what I see Tesla doing with driving. And so I'm curious, like, do you think about, you know, this Tesla insurance product just at face value? Like, does that excite you because to me it seems like the same kind of innovation that oscar's bringing to the space that's super smart um when i was talking about kaiser earlier when you have your insurance company and your um your health system being one in the same there is nothing more aligned incentive alignment than that so to me having tesla do that that is awesome and it makes so much sense i'm surprised honestly that other car companies have never done that i don't know if they have um but you have you know costar not the astrology app but there's like costar that's built into cars that helps you do your nav like a satin app and they're kind of tracking you too like tracking you or like if you get in a car crash you can call you know click costar call for help i'm sure that 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 using that already to create an insurance product makes sense but of course Tesla's going to be one of the first to do that because they are actually thinking about these questions they're thinking about how to move forward whereas most car companies are like we have a car and the yeah. car does the thing that the car is supposed to do. Yeah. Here's another car that's a different color. Um, those, to me, are very uninteresting pedestrian changes. Like, I think one of the things I think about a lot in technology, healthcare, I can go back to healthcare with this. There are very few companies that are so innovative and different that they actually move the needle on people's care. I think there's a lot of these, like, D2C brands, right? They're like, here, make it easy as possible for you to get this drug or that drug. That to me is is you know interesting, but how are you actually changing healthcare for people? I think that's really hard to find, and when you find those companies, that just gets me so excited. And so Oscar is one of them, you think? Yeah, for sure. Definitely, and it's such an interesting because what Oscar is doing to align the incentives, they want to make you healthier. Yeah. And with this Tesla insurance, like they want to make you safer. Yeah. Their incentives are aligned to make yep. you safer, and that's yep. one of, one of my favorite things about Tesla is like safest cars on the road, even without the self driving software. Like, yeah. It's the number one reason people buy a car. You want to be safe. Yep. Like so, I just think that's actually last Tesla. Then we'll leave it because you know it's <laughs> Tesla. But I'm I just know. curious, what's your opinion on Tesla? For the, I mean, everyone watching is probably you know Tesla shareholders, uh, Elon fans. Mm. So I'm curious, like, what do you think of the Elon? empire and tesla well i mean elon and grimes truly the couple of the century okay. um <laughs> right i feel like they no, broke I, up but then so he followed weird. her back on twitter I didn't so i'm kind of I'm, I'm holding out hope maybe I'm, they're not i thought they broke up. i thought they got back together because they both had those anime emojis did they oh, change that i mean a dual switch to anime emoji profile pics is a pretty strong sign i, I feel like say. that's like handing a ring to someone you're like this. <laughs> <laughs> basically the same thing um i mean to be quite honest, I don't know all too much about Tesla. I'm not a Tesla. Like, I, I would say I'm a fan. I'm not a stan like, <laughs> like you. But that's mostly because I don't know that all that much about it. Um, but to me, there is no question in my mind that Elon's empire, particularly Tesla, has done more to impact climate change than almost any other enterprise, like private enterprise. 
And that takes guts. That takes balls to be like, I'm going to do something that no one else has done and go all in, all in on, you know, all in on Tesla. And that that vision comes around. No, there it's one in a million to get an entrepreneur like that. So regardless of like all the little weird things that Elon does, because he's truly only human. um, And I actually admire a lot of his weirdness because I think people should be more weird and care a lot less about building up walls and having certain personas just like be yourself and be weird and awesome right? and accessible that that plus like his, so this genius that he has plus his vision and his ability to like yeah things don't go perfectly all the time for tesla but he still executed so well and it takes a, you know you have to execute consistently he's done that so that's kind of my perspective on tesla so, awesome yeah. and segue <laughs> that into what if there's any company in the world you could invest in today like you could easily get on the cap table and invest at the fair you know last round or whatever yeah. what so what like company would it be and why it could be a startup it could be not a startup it could be anything could cool. be a crypto asset <laughs> i i mean yeah i definitely invest putting in you on the spot here yeah, so no, i don't know I, maybe i should have told you ahead of time but no, no, any this company is good. This is good. you know like even if the cap table is impossible to get on like i'm thinking i would probably do coinbase or Oscar, honestly, is up there. If I'm getting in at three bill, I haven't looked at the financials, so I don't know. You could probably, I mean, if there's another round, even getting a secondary now is still, like, a deal. Um, ooh. Probably, like, SpaceX, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't matter now. Um, I guess just buy shares. Um, what are some... Like, maybe, like, a cool, any cool startups on your radar? Yeah. I know you're into the startup scene. Yeah, I am. Um... I think there's a lot of augmented reality um, and a lot of virtual reality companies that I'd want to invest in. Also, VR is one that does um, augmented re- augmented reality for healthcare. I think it's super interesting um, because I think there's so much more you could do with augmented reality than, than just healthcare, right? Like there are certain high pressure situations where you can't really practice. Yes, for certain parts of healthcare when you're going being a doctor when you're going through training you're doing your residency etc you try on dead bodies or you get to you know practice by being in surgery with a leading physician but what about military how do you practice being in the military in actual high intensity scenarios you can do that in augmented reality um or if you are a police officer you know we talk you know there's police shootings happen there's you know the Hmm. black men get shot is there ways that you can train beforehand so your gut reaction isn't just shoot or your gut reaction isn't just like you know if there is there ways that we can use technology to make things safer and i think augmented reality is certainly one of them there are lots of players right now so it's kind of hard to tell but also i think it's one of the coolest ones because it's working in healthcare which is of course my area of interest and look i like I kind of want to push back on this because one thing I always hear is like, oh, the gun, like we're practicing guns and shooting and that's a great use case for VR. I'm like, eh, mm. it's not a big, exciting market. And A, I think robots are going to be on the battlefields and like robots sure. are going to be policing soon anyways. Like it doesn't get me excited about like this is a huge change in like the way humanity works. Mm. But I think a lot of people hype up AR, VR, you know, this convergence of, you know, even more of a digital layer overlaying on our lives. Mm -hmm. But there's so much, like, I feel like that's such a vague thing of how Mm -hmm. to, you know, which company puts out what product that actually moves the needle on how digitized our lives are with Mm -hmm. augmented reality or VR. Yeah, I mean, I think that there was certainly, 
like honestly if google glass had been done better think about how interesting and cool that would have been like mm-hmm. something so seamless like you can just wear glasses that says walking down the street ping three blocks away my friend golly is over there wouldn't that be cool like instead of on your phone something where you can actually see more about your war how to you know increase your engagement with the world through your vision i think that that's really exciting other than like putting on a phone on my face and like you know being in a virtual world i think that yeah. the, i think that you can definitely do it and whether that means like you know through google glass or that means hey we're gonna have you know like black mirror style we're gonna be able to have them on our eye you know on our actual irises which would be way cooler um, I think it's going to happen, whether it happens in the next 50 years or whatever. Did I, like, the augmented reality is, is already a thing in advertising. Like, have you seen like how um, or Vocaloids, um, the av- avatars that are becoming super popular? Lola Michaela. Like Lola Michaela, like Brad Wright. That's awesome. That's yeah, AR. I made a video on them. They're are awesome. Yeah. yeah. Lola Michaela, she's like dropping a mixtape, honestly. Yep. And she's starting to launch her own podcast. She's competing with HyperChange before you know there it. There you go. Like, Little there, rattled, honestly. Yeah, so there's like there's avatars, there um like the vocaloids, there um like Coachella, who they always bring out these um what are they called? Do you know what I'm talking about? The hologram. Like, the holograms. Kind of like imagine going to an entire holographic uh, like conference or concert. Um or when Marshmallow went on Fortnite. Like these are really cool different like... I'm not cool enough to know what that means. <laughs> Marshmallow, like the DJ, he... Ha- he he basically did a concert on Fortnite, so he actually wow. DJed for thousands, you know, however many tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of Fortnite users. Like, I think there are ways we're gonna live out our lives in the digital world, and I think the f- the in all the entree into the digital world will happen through augmented reality. I don't think people are willing to go all in yet into virtual reality, so that's why I'm excited about AR. I don't know, you know, it's kind of hard to say what is going to be the company that does that, but. We're so we're, we are in or we're with generation now, like Gen Z, who lives their entire life online, right? Everything's online, so they're super willing to engage with this world, whereas previous generations, I think, are a little bit more hesitant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the good rule of thumb I always think of is like I'm actually stealing this from Elon Musk, but his term of li- limbic resonance <laughs> is like the kind of rule of how these social networks and sort of this social interaction with technology gets pushed, like. You want to be able to have as much data transmitted from your brain onto the internet or this digital network as fast as possible, that mm-hmm. data flow. Mm-hmm. And so that's what you said, like reducing the latency, essentially. Yeah. And what you said about Google Glass to me is so fascinating because you think about all the things I could do with my eye, like take a picture of that, yep. send it to Nikita, like yep. instead of taking out my phone and yep. doing it, you know, like it's so much, it's, it's pushing on that limbic resonance. And like, that's why I give Snap a lot of props for trying their Spectacles product because I'm like, okay, you know, Apple apparently wants to go into glasses. They're, they acquired like this Israeli holographic sort of like Google Glass company. They, mm-hmm, they, mm-hmm. you know, they, everyone's saying that that could be their next form factor and Snap's already putting theirs out. So I think glasses is, you know, just to hone in on like a product of how I think this really gets in the mainstream is yeah. kind of like one area I'm looking at. And Siri, or not Siri, the, the AirPods, I think mm-hmm, are really interesting mm-hmm. of the more functionality that that kind of brings as a wearable tech, like a wearable device. Yeah, no, definitely. I think AirPods are are honestly so exciting. Um, I don't know if they're going to be as game-changing as some people have said, <laughs> like add, really adding a new social layer or anything like that. But um, like, like I think it's very similar almost to the glasses, but in a very different way. Like imagine being able to just, hey, I want us to just send a quick note to Gali. I just want to be like, I'm walking down the street. Hey, send. In a way that's very different than, you know, sending a text on your phone. I think it's just different. Uh, 
you know, it's so it's, it's funny. Like, I feel like sometimes I'm living in two different worlds. I see people tweet things like, haven't had a phone call in the last like three years. And I love phone calls. And I think that there are so many other types of millennials that prefer to make phone calls. And that's why the AirPods are so interesting and so exciting for them. Whereas this is, there's an entire, it feels like half of other people that almost want to retract and only engage in the photo world, the Instagram world, or, you know, the the text world in a way that's not that same kind of auditory experience. Last thing, if I could pick, pick yeah. your brain on the Uber yeah. Lyft IPOs. Ooh, yeah. What do you think about that? Because I'm biased. I think the Anthony Lewandowski or something, the, the Waymo guy, mm-hmm. just came out and said LiDAR is not needed, which is a validation Ooh. of Elon Musk. And so I, the way I'm, I, I'm biased, but I'm like, wow, Tesla solved the autonomy thing. Uber and Lyft, now that we looked at their S1s, are losing so much money. Like, yeah. I, I just think this is like a slow motion train wreck for Uber and Lyft. I don't know. And I'm curious, you know, what's your what's your take on these companies? Do they have a chance? Do you see the vision? I mean, they have a chance, but they have a chance if the unit economics makes sense. Um, I think right now they're still living in this world where if we're able to be the cheapest on the market, then people will use us because it's cheaper than and a better experience, let's say, than taking public transit or whatever my other options are. But it gets to a point where they have to increase prices to be profitable. Mm-hmm. And you only have that profitability if you make everything autonomous, or at least you're moving towards that, and you increase prices at the same time. And I don't know how satisfied people are going to be when it costs as much to take an Uber as it does to take a taxi. I mean, even in New York, taxi and Uber is almost yeah. the same Well, they're price. selling a dollar for 70 cents. So it's like, of course, people are pumped, mm-hmm. you know, no, like, exactly. of course, exactly. they're taking market share. Like, exactly. But how sustainable is that over time? Sorry. <coughs> how sustainable is something like that over time? Um, we'll see. And I think one of the biggest things that Uber didn't do, and I have highlighted in my tweets, they never talked about their cohorts. Because there are people that sign up for Uber, right, and, like, take wow. it once and never take it again. That's a great There are tidbit. people who take it all the time. And they, unlike, well, I suppose Lyft didn't exactly do this either, but at least they shared a bit of their cohort data. They were able to say there are very high-value users that, based on some research that other funds have done, that are net profitable. So the amount of money that it takes to acquire them is lower than the amount of money that they give back to Lyft. But that's only like the highest category. Everyone else is a money loser. But because this, the amount of money that these super users make or generate is so much higher, it it said that they had a very low customer acquisition cost versus how much that it, how much gener- money it generated per uh, new user and per sustained user over time because it was so much higher than everyone else that was losing money. Um, that to me is like crazy that it wasn't more transparent than that. I have no idea what the case is for Uber. Because Uber actually has a decent number of competitors in different countries. And when you think about like what Lyft's future looks like and even Uber, you have to dominate the entire globe if you want this to work and work well. Or at least, you know, do as much as you can for that to work. But Uber has already given up in certain giant continents, like China, basically. Right? Yeah. It's uh, India is like Ola is a, bit, is a popular one. Didi is China. Um, Grab in Southeast Asia. That's... almost half of the world's population right there um europe there's a 
you know, Europe doesn't need Uber as much as because they have great public transit and everything's quite walkable. So what do you have left? You have a lot of the U.S. and maybe Africa, and I don't really know the case in South America. But um, I think that I'm I'm less excited by Uber than other people have been because I think there's far more things that are constraining them than enabling them. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. And I know you probably follow a ton of amazing blogs and podcasts that are in this hyper-change startup mm. world. So I wanted to get some recommendations on that, and I'm sure all the hyper-changers would love like, to hear those as well. So you mentioned um, a couple of them. Harry Stubbings? Harry it? Stubbings. He does 20-Minute yeah. VC. Oh, that's the 20-Minute VC. I've VC heard of that. Guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. He's pretty good. Um, let's see. In terms of blogs, um, I think everyone recommends Ben Thompson. Of course, like strategy. Yeah, the strategy. Like, uh, yeah, I don't. Whatever. I almost don't need to recommend him. Um, there's a really interesting one called Penny Fractions that you probably never heard of, Mm-mm. but it's this guy who talks about music and the streaming industry. Ooh. And he has really interesting takes on Spotify, Apple Music, um, any changes that happen in terms. Not so. It's not just okay. Added new artist. It's really looking at the economics of the music and music streaming industry. Um, so that one's a really good one. Um, what are some other good ones? Movement. That's one on public transit and um, mobility. So that's just like an interesting one um, that I like to read. Lean Lux is probably, the, other, the I guess, the last one I'll recommend. It's all things modern luxury. So when you think about your Casper, Warby's, Wow. away etc like the tech millennial sweet exactly spot. <laughs> <laughs> everything in there um lean lux and the lean lux community so paul mumford um runs it and there's hundreds of people in the slack group but they're they really bring all things consumer to that newsletter and then because they're a really active slack channel you're also seeing what's going on in the actual community that's building so you have investors like hunter walk uh, etc. In there, you have actual creators like the founder of Roman or something like that. They'll be in there. Um, you'll have operators, product managers, people just talking about all things consumer. So I find that to be very interesting. But one of the things that I really try and practice is getting diverse perspectives or interesting thought on ev- almost every single vertical that I can. So I subscribe to like Inside AI because I want to know what's happening in the AI world. I subscribe to this music newsletter, not because I really know that much about music, but because it's interesting to hear why Spotify's mad at Apple. Um, Dan Runcy runs this one on hip hop and capitalism. Like that's super interesting. So damn, that sounds cool. No, what's that called? Sounds cool. Uh, Trapital. Trapital. Ooh, yeah. Good name. Trap too. Capital. Okay. Yeah. Wow, yeah. I'm a fan already. Yeah. So whatever you can do to find these like gold nuggets, I try to. Because, yes, Ben Thompson is great, but everyone else is reading Ben. So how are you thinking any differently than what Ben is saying? That's a big thing. That's a big problem that I have in general in in the startup and VC world. We all read each other's content. But there's a difference between bringing someone else's argument to the table and synthesizing it with your own to have your own own opinion and own independent thought. And I and I don't and I think because part part of it is people aren't rewarded for having independent thought. It's riskier. And yeah. you know, you when you have ninety thousand followers or you know, a lot of these people do, you feel scared to put something new out there because maybe it's not gonna be received very well. So something that I've tried to think about and how I do all things tech is just like to be as true to myself 
um, in how I, you know, tweet things. And there also aren't that many, um, and not to say that I have that many followers on Twitter or anything, but there aren't that many, like, female figures in tech Twitter. There really aren't. There are a handful. Um, yeah, like, Ravi and um, Devin, those are, like, the biggest ones. But they're kind of, if, you, if you're a woman in, in tech and you have true opinions on things, you're kind of a controversial figure. And I think you have to decide, like, are you willing to be that controversial figure? Because maybe you're not going to be liked by everyone else. So I think that's something I try to do. I'm like, you don't like what I have to say? I don't care. Like, this is, this is my opinion on things. And I put it out there and I hope that people engage with it. I hope that I meet new people that way. And it's definitely, I, for me, it's, it's definitely, it feels like I've done that. And awesome. It's yeah. I feel like that's a great place to end. Everyone yeah. should follow Nikita on Twitter. What's I better your get name? like a, a thousand follower bump from. You might get like <laughs> <I'm> ten. <laughs> um, it's my last name, Singaretti N M. So my initial, my first. I'll name put it on the screen name. too. Yeah, so that's cool. They can check it out. Yeah. Do you have any last, you know, comments, moonshot predictions for the hyperchangers or anything like that? Ooh, ooh. Um, read like read as much science fiction as possible. I think like that's been to me one of the things that's like opened up my brain and how I think about what could be the future of technology. Like if you've never read Gibson's Neuromancer, this idea of literally living in the cyberspace. So like being able to plug your body into a computer, like living in the wires and living in what a, like a disk is. Like that is so interesting. And no, obviously like right now you can't build that. But I think like even paying attention or imagining a vision like that gives you hope and optimism for what technology can do so if you read snow crash even if these sound like yes some of them are a little bit dystopian they're so fascinating to think about there's a really famous book called folding beijing that's about like you know china in the future where the world folds up on itself so you have multiple societies and classes living in beijing for certain periods of the day and it just like yeah, literally, like, Beijing will fold upon itself, and then the other class gets to live for X number of hours, and then it folds up again, and another class of people get to live. Wow. And it's just, like, these people who are just science fiction writers are more innovative than, like, 90% of the, like, 90% of the population. Um, so, to whatever wow. you can, read more sci-fi. And the whole concept of like invest in the future you believe in. The future is sort of this open book that's really whatever is. we want it to be. Yep. Like I feel like for young people to when there's so much possibilities with software, with us going to space, yep. with reusable rockets, AI, like all of these sci-fi things yep. are becoming, you know, around the corner of, of like feasibility. Yep. And so it's I think it's like that's a great starting point for the imagination of like what businesses is technology yep. enabled in, enabling us to create. Yes. Um, I think we're already cyborgs. Like we're, yeah. every like, time you like pick up a phone, you're a cyborg. Yeah, like, but you just have, like what I was saying, the limbic resonance, your yep. latency is super yes. low. The data yep. flow is super tiny. Like Elon Musk, it's, I'm copying him, but he, his analogy is incredible. It's like a straw, yep. you know? And, and the second we can unlock that data, like magnitudes more, yes. you know, tens, hundreds of thousands of times more, you, you know, people get scared about technology and they're like, oh, everyone's on their phone. Everyone's on Twitter. And it's like, this is so early. This is <laughs> yeah. just, if you think this is bad, I'm pumped that I'm spending like 30% of my life not looking at a screen maybe, mm -hmm. but I think that is decreasing like the average time, you know, every year it's probably decreasing by a meaningful percentage. So, um, I don't know, crazy to think about. Yeah. But anyway, I had so much fun scheming on technology. Thank you so much for taking the time. Of course. Um, and yeah, good luck with everything. Thank everyone, you, thank e you. Everyone's going to follow you on Twitter. And yeah. <laughs> everyone should follow you on Twitter too. <laughs> All right. Peace out. Thanks for tuning in.